Father God, we thank you. We, I hear it. God says he wants to bring liberty and freedom today. Now, we got stuff we, get, we can teach, but I, God, God says no more walls. I'm repairing bridges and gaps in your life. I will bring freedom and liberty to all those that desire to no longer be enslaved by unforgiveness, fear, lack, poverty. I am bigger than all that, says God. I created all the earth, and I created you. And I know the plans I have towards you, says God, to prosper you and give you an expected end. Allow my words to guide your footsteps and experience the end I have for you. A life of abundance, nothing missing, nothing broken. One that overflows with provision. I've called you to be a storehouse. And these times, people may lack, but that is not what I've called you to do. Your hands your talents, your abilities. I have called you to bring freedom to those that are bound. But first, you must be free yourself. I've called you to liberate, but first, you must be liberated yourself. I will not allow you to be in lack. Praise God. I will not allow your family to be destroyed. I, God, am your strong fortress. I am your fighter. I am your warrior. Put me in. Take me off the bench and allow me to do what I've called, been called to do. I have ordered your steps. Bless God. I've ordered your steps. Walk in the footprints that I've laid out for you and watch the world unfold before your eyes. The creation is in earnest expectation for the manifestation of your life. Follow me and see how earth becomes heaven, says God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, God has given us so much power. He's given us so much, and it's so great to have the opportunity. Oh, let me do the formality, sorry. My name is Ralph Marlowe. I am not the pastor of the church. <laughs> so for all our guests, Pastor Evan and Pastor Sean, they are, they are out. One of our partners got married in Atlanta, so they're out with them at the wedding. And so I told them I would take care of service today. So uh, I pray that the word that comes forward will bless you. But what I really want you to, there will be things that are said that you're just going to have to kind of catch, not because I'm deep, but God is trying to do some things for you, and every message that comes forth, you hear them from your perception. And so one person may hear one thing while another person hears another. So as you hear the word, always hear it for your life. Even if you're married, don't be thinking about how your spouse can use that word. 
<laughs> think about how you, the world's going to impact you. Amen? Amen. Pastor Sean started last week talking about how God is a warrior. And, and, and a lot of times, and, and, I, and there's some things happening in my life, and I'm getting to see God fight. And, 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 and I'm not a, I used to be a fighter. That's my brother right there. He can tell you. I used to have a real bad attitude. I used to just like to fight for the sake of fighting. It didn't have to be a whole lot to go. And most people who know me now wouldn't even have known. And there are some things that happened in my life, and I had to change because Big Brother said, if you're going to end up like some people we know if you keep that way. And so I had to change my habits. But sometimes as Christians, we think about the love of God, and we think it's passive. We think it's reserved. We think it's laid back, and we think it's not violent. But the love of God becomes violent when it needs to become violent. God doesn't sit back and let an enemy punk him. But sometimes we do. But we don't understand who our daddy is. Because sometimes when you come from a generation of fighters, then you just want to fight all the time. But you picking the wrong fights. So today, I mean, last week, Pastor John went, took us to 1 Samuel 3. 1 Samuel, uh, Caleb, you got it? It says, and this is the first time she talked about the Lord of hosts, of Jehovah Sabaoth, God of the armies. It's, and this is the first time it occurs in the word. It says, and this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. So, and it's talking about Elkanah and his two wives and his families. And they would go there every year and sacrifice. One wife had kids. The other wife was barren, didn't have any kids. And so what he said was to his other wife, Hannah, I give you a double portion. But Hannah says, that's not what I want. I want children of my own because this other wife is harassing me every time we go and give offerings. So go to verse 11. So to walk you through, Hannah talks to the Lord about what she wants. And she's really sad and she's really upset about the fact that she doesn't have kids. And so she talks to the Lord and says, Lord. Surely this day, if you give me a kid, I will dedicate his life to you and give him back to you. And so it says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, what she is saying is, she made a covenant agreement with God that, God, if you do this, then I will do that, right? How many times have you promised God that you would do something, it happened, and then you didn't honor your part? But the great thing about that, God went to war for her. She had the kids, and then if you keep reading, she had five more. So, but the great thing I was reading about that, and we're going to get to the God of Ormus, she not only honored her word, she said, as soon as this baby is able to eat regular meat, I will dedicate him to you. So she took a baby, and we all know babies can eat regular food about 18 year. I mean, they're good. So think about it. You've been believing God all your life for a kid. You get the kid, and then after one year of nursing and mothering that kid, you give them right back to God. How many times? Have we been blessed with things and then immediately became selfish with them? You believe God for the house that you won't let anybody else stay in. You believe God for the money 
or the job that now you won't share the goodness of with anybody else. These are side notes within this message. Because she was willing to do for God exactly what she said. So tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, God honors you. Honor him. All right? So you got to honor him. All right? But God, God is a God that wants, wants to fight for you. Say, God, God wants, wants to fight for me. And let's correct that. Say, God, God has, fought has fought and won, and won for, me. for me. Amen. Because that first mentality is the one we live in. God's wanting to fight. But look, and I believe in talking. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you have to put God in. Because a lot of times we let God sit on the bench. It's, it's like we got, we got the, you, you think you got the best starting five out. I didn't play basketball, but we all know about the sixth man. And sometimes that sixth man can come off the bench and change the game. Well, God is the first man, but you treating him like the ninth. He at the end of the bench. You saved, you sanctified, you full of the Holy Ghost, but you don't give God an opportunity. But let's talk about a man who did, David. How many of y'all have heard the story of David? Amen. Because we're talking about a God of war, a God who's willing to fight. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor I, will fight I will fight for the kingdom. Say, so I, I am not, not a, spiritual a spiritual pump. pump. <laughs> I'm not a spiritual pump. Because it's nothing worse than being at home. It's flu season. Oh, that has nothing to do with you. I don't have to have the flu. But then you're like, I can't say that because what if I get it? What's your stance? Are you holding your position? Because if they held it last night, they wouldn't have blocked the punt, right? I mean, the field goal. So don't be like him. Hold your ground and do not move and ensure that the things that God says comes to pass. Amen? Amen? So 1 Samuel 16. While we're going there, God says we are designed to win. Winning sometimes comes easy, but sometimes it's a fight. God is a fighter and he has enabled us, or in other words, blessed us, empowered us to be fighters. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, and y'all can get my notes because I'm going to go kind of fast for the sake of time. i email them to anybody who wants them. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. From that day forward, and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. This is what we want to focus on right here. The Spirit of the Lord came on David. All right, so at that moment, all right, you got... Samuel, Samuel's going looking for a king because Saul had messed up. All right? And so they done went through the whole lineage. I'm, I'm, I'm only a family of four, but, you know, back in the day, there was big family. So imagine they done went to the oldest brother, the next oldest, and they like, where are the rest of them? This oil ain't coming out. They're like, well, I got one more little scrawny boy back in the back watching the sheep, the youngest. They're like, it can't be him. They're like, well, bring him on. And the oil came out on David. So now David has now been... Uh, anointed, and he's going to be king. But there's another lesson in this. He didn't change his posture. He went right back to the sheep and kept doing what he was doing till God told him to become everything he is called to do. Don't, don't let a little fame change who you are. All right? Side note. Don't, don't do that. 
Just because you're the CEO doesn't mean that you're any better than those that work for you. Amen? So let's keep going. 1 Samuel 17, 10, and 11. And then, so I'm going to have to paraphrase because it's not, it's ain't, it ain't going to be right. So David's been anointed king. And so at this point, the spirit of the Lord is on him. And his daddy's like, hey, David, I need you to go uh, give your brother some food. Go out to the battlefield, give them some food, make sure they're good. So David goes out to the battlefield. When he gets there, they're at a valley, and then there's Goliath there, punking the, uh, Phil- I mean, the Philistine, punking the children of Israel, saying, send somebody out here to fight me. Because who's bad enough to come fight me? Because if y'all whoop me, I'll be slaves to you. But if I whoop y'all, y'all be slaves to me. And so the Bible talks about how the children of Israel were dismayed. They were sad. And that word dismayed means to be stricken completely of carriage. They were without hope. But the spirit, David just walking through with his brother. Hey, here go the cheese. Here go the meat. This is what I'm supposed to give y'all. He left it with the innkeeper. And he's like, where are my brothers at? I want to go holler at them. Okay? That ain't what the word says. That's what I'm saying. We paraphrase. All right? So he go find his brother, and he hear them talking about this Philistine. He's like, who is this man coming against the children of God? Why? Because if you go back to the other scripture, what was on David? The spirit of the Lord. So David's like, hey, this doesn't line up with who I am now. And he's like, whoa. Then he, said, then he heard something else. The king said, I give you riches. Your father won't have to pay taxes. And I get the king's daughter. Then his brother said, why are you out here? Why are you even here? You need to go on somewhere starting a mess. And this is what you got to do to family sometimes. He turned around. Tell me again what the king going to do. Because so many times in our lives, family, meaning well, get us distracted from what God has called us to do. God will say, I need for you to uproot and move. And you don't simply because mama stayed here, grandma stayed here, so I got to stay here. Or this is the better place for my kids. No, the best place for your kids is where the word of God told you to be. So he stopped talking to those people that didn't align with God. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Stop, talking stop talking to anyone, to anyone who gives you words, gives you words. Contrary, contrary to what God has called you to do. So David said, so, I, so when I whoop him, I'm going to get riches. My father won't have to pay taxes and the king's daughter. He said, oh, I'm in. Why? Because when you understand, you're like, well, I'm not like David. Yes, you are. When you got born again, the Bible says that when I was born again, the spirit of the Lord came on me. In Acts 1 and 8, the Holy Spirit came living on the inside of me, giving me the ability to do even greater works. That's what the word says. All right? So you would say, I am just like David. Except you're the modern new version. You had some updates. Because David didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, giving you the ability to do everything God did and more. So David said, you know what? I, I, I can handle this. 
And then he went back to uh, the king, and the king's like, okay, David, you shouldn't do that. And David's like, no, Saul, I got this. And so Saul tried to give him his armor and give him his sword. Here's another lesson for you. Use your own talents, your own abilities, and that that is well known to you. You ain't going to see me out trying to talk business about business acquisitions of companies because that's not where my skill level at. So many times we step outside of what God has called us to do because something else looks better. God has all given us areas in this earth to conquer and dominate. For me, I'm in education. I actually work in ALE. I get the worst of the worst that all of Faulkner County does not want. And I have fun every day with it. I get to oversee probably 400 and some different kids, four different camps, and that's awesome. That's what I love. But I don't try to go practice law. Stay your lane. That's where your authority is. So David told Saul, I don't need your sword. I don't need your shield. I'm going to take what's good to me, which is these, this little slingshot, and I'm going to give me five stones. So he goes out. And then, let me make sure I'm on track. So, all right, so 1 Samuel 17, Goliath's very present brought fear to the children. Do not allow your senses. Oh, yeah, I need to read that. Do not allow your senses to evoke fear within you. However, allow your spirit man to take control. Your senses relate to fear because they're natural. All right? But your spirit does not know fear because it understands that all things are under its feet. Let's go to Psalms 24. Don't, uh, don't try to do spiritual things with emotional responses. It don't matter if you can't see it. It doesn't matter if you can't hear it, smell it, taste it. That, none of that matters because the spirit does not re revolve around humanly emotional senses at all. So this is what it says. The earth is whose? And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell where? He says, for he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has what? Clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Salah. Selah. <laughs> lift up your head, O ye gates, and ye, be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord what? Strong and mighty. The Lord what? Mighty and battle. David reminded himself of the word. See, so many times when you're attacked, you stay quiet. Your quiet is a sign of surrenderance. Say, neighbor, it's not okay to sit silent. It's not. When an attack comes against your family, against you, or against anything that you know, you open your mouth and you speak what the word says. You being quiet and hoping it goes away will not conquer the fight. How many of you guys have ever been in a fist fight? And you walked up, somebody punched you, and you sit there quiet, and you, you got victory. Right. Wrong. KO? All right? You probably got knocked out, because that doesn't work. 
So sometimes the enemy will come against us and we think it's okay as long as we don't respond and we be quiet. You have to open your mouth and speak what the word says. Psalms 115 and 16, I'm establishing your righteousness. I want you to understand that you have the, you're almighty. It says, the earth has the Lord given to the children of, the earth has he given to who? I need you to become, personalize it. The earth has he given to who? Me. So where was Goliath? In the earth. So anything in the earth, I have a right to conquer it. So David said, oh, I'm good. So David knew who he was, and he was not fighting alone. David asked, what will the person who defeats Goliath get? We talked about that. So David acts out of courage to allow the spirit of God to work through him and encourage everyone else to move. David took what he had and did what he needed to do. All right? So the question is, what do you have in your hands? Raise your hand if God has given you an idea or, or anything like that to make money outside of your job. Raise your hand. God has spoke to you about, okay, leave your hands up if you are actively doing it and it's producing wealth. Do y'all see? Okay. Raise your hand. Okay, we ain't going to keep raising our hands. But has God spoke to you about leaving your job and you still there? Has God? <laughs> All right. I just said you have to raise your hand. But what I'm trying to get to you is this. A lot of times we think fighting, the, a spiritual fight, it's about obedience. That all fights are won when we obey God. All right, so what are you waiting for? The earth is waiting in eager expectation for you. The greatest risk a man ever takes is to choose not to believe God. Because we think the risk is leaving, for me, Prescott, Arkansas, going to school in U of, at the U of A. Because Prescott's 3,600 people. All right? It was a long ride up here. That was a great risk. And then going to Texas to do ministry. And then coming back. It would be really easy for me like, no, nah, it ain't all that. So, but the greatest risk I could ever take is to choose not to believe God. And sometimes in life, you have to assign a new meaning to things. We think it's risky to leave a job without having another one. Well, when God told you to get another one, did he say quit this one first? It's okay to ask God questions. God, you want me to have a new job. Okay, where is that job? When do I transition into that job? Do I quit now? Or do I wait till I get it, then I go? But don't sit and do nothing. It says, there is no, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, there is no risk in following God. There is no risk. In, you know where the risk comes? When you allow your flesh to out-talk your spirit. That's where risk comes in. There is never risk in following God. Who created the earth? Who created your life? Who has a plan for your life? God. Who knows what that plan looks like? God. So if he tells you what to do, it's done. But here's the thing. Before God created the earth, he put, I mean, before he created you, the Bible says he put everything you ever needed in it. So when God's asking you to fast, when God's asking you to pray, when God is telling you to not whoop your child but talk to him this time, when God is telling you to get a new job, he is positioning you to inherit everything that he has for you. 
Don't hate the process. And I'm talking to myself on that one. Because sometimes we live in a rapid society where we want things quick. I want to pull up at my whatever restaurant. I see a Starbucks cup. I want to pull up at Starbucks, tell them what I want. Then I want to pull around, pay my money, get it and roll within five minutes. And if it goes over, what do we begin to get? Agitated. Right? But you've been your, for lack of a bit, well, you ain't crazy now, but you've been that way for 30 years. You've been broke for 30 years. You've been sick for 30 years. You had that way of thinking for 30 years. You've had money coming in and out your house the way it did for 30 years. And then all of a sudden, today, you want all of that to change. And you want to have everything that your integrity and character can't handle everything God has for you right now. The process develops you. I love Aiden, my son. He's two and a half. I will not give him everything I want to give him right now because he can't handle it. He doesn't have a car right now. For Christmas, he's going to get a power wheel. We're going to see how that works for right now. And then when he grows up, then he may get a goat car. But we don't put, you get that with your kids. But we want God to give us everything right now when we can't handle it. The process is intended to grow you up. Say, say neighbor. Let the process grow you up. Embrace the process. Amen. Embrace the process. Because no man can do it the way God has said and lose. You give me a story of, in the Bible about a man that did it God's way and lost. Anybody got one? We got, we got a lot of people in here. Anybody got a story about how a man did it God's way and lost? But how many times has God gave you a written word or a spoken word and you didn't follow it because you thought you was going to lose? That is your sense realm knowledge telling you that God isn't as big as he said he is. So it's hard to obey a God that you don't know that loves you and trusts you. I mean, it's real easy. So that's what we're going to talk about real quick. Caleb, what my time looking like? Oh, 11.02? Okay. All right. So in our word, the word obedience in our nation, we, we don't like that word, especially as an adult. <laughs> Nobody likes to be obedient. Because when we think obedient, we think kids. Kids need to be obedient, but I'm a grown man. I pay my own bills. I go to work. I can do what I want with mine because I pay for it. And that's our mentality. And as long as that's our mentality, we don't allow God to have his proper place. Biblical obedience can be best described as three things. Love plus trust plus action. Until we understand the revelation of God's love for us, we will never trust him. And as long as we don't trust God, we will never act on his word. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about how much God loves you. And then tell you how you can trust him. And then give you the ability to walk out some action, therefore getting some manifestation. Okay? Sounds like a lot, but we're going to go quickly. So the purpose of obedience is not to punish you. Say obedience, obedience. Is, not is not to punish. But to position you to receive everything God desires for you to have. Obedience is the gateway to everything God. Now, why do you like, well, I thought it was faith. Well, let's get there. 
Perfect love casts out fear. Okay? Obedience works by love, and faith won't work without what? Love. Okay? So let's put it all together. So in order to obey, I have to operate in faith, love, and love fuels my faith. So this is what I'm saying. You cannot walk out obedience in your earthly man because you're going to get sad, depressed, irritated, and offended with God. Because I remember them times when I said, God, if you just get me out this time, I won't ever, ever, ever do it again. Ever. And I meant that in my flesh. But the flesh grows weak over time. And I meant well, but I didn't have the spiritual tools needed to sustain the word I was giving God back. And so a lot of times you try to do godly endeavor with fleshly actions. And you get, you get irritated. Irritation and aggravations are signs you have stepped out of the spirit. You mad at your spouse. Go read your word. You, you irritated. She getting on your nerves. He getting on your nerves. Because it's clear. I can tell in my marriage times when me and April need to amp up the time we need to spend with God because we started going at each other a little bit. Like we're naturally not conflict people, but you can tell. So you got to spend time in the Word. So obedience is an act of love. Go to John 3 and 16. No, we ain't going to go there. Y'all grown. What does John 3 and 16 say? So God gave his life. Why did he give his life? Because he what? Because he loved who? Yes. Let's make it personal. He loved who? Me. God loved me so much that he knew I was going to sin at 32 but still die for me. God loved me so much. He knew I was going to do this, this, and this, but yet he what? Died for me. While I was yet a sinner, God died for me. Why? Because he loves me. And then we letting the devil talk to us about how we didn't fast last week and we ain't worthy of it. Or how we didn't do this and we're not worthy of it. God already knew it. So neighbor, God already knew it. He died for you anyway because he loved you. Romans 5 and 8. God made clear his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died. Because I'm like... I want you to know what the word says. The word says that I'm just not making it up, okay? 3 John 2 is one of my favorites. I wish above all things that you may what? Prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. We are talking about a God that does what? Loves us. He loves us so much. He says, I want you to prosper and have what? Good health, and I want your soul to prosper. What's my soul? My mind, my will, my imagination, my intellect. That's my soul. I got to line those things up with the word of God. In Romans 12, he's not talking about being not, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is your soul that has to line up with the word of God. Your spirit man ready to go 1,000 miles per hour to, or faster than the speed of light with God. It's your flesh that slow you down. And side note, side note, part of it is because we overeat and we just tired. I'm be honest with you. The enemy has, especially in our community, 
uh, uh, when I say our, I'm, I'm African-American, the, the enemy uses food as a disguise to keep us from manifesting God. Because what he will do, he'll get a, we'll be addicted to sugars, bread, sweets, pork, all these different things. And then the doctors say, you don't need to eat this. But, oh, I can't let it go. So really what you're saying is food is more valuable than my health. And really what you're saying is God says I'm with food is more valuable than the commandment of God because I am going against everything he just said he wanted me to have. All because of a piece of bread, a slice of meat, a Coke or a cup of coffee. All right? If you can't restrain food from your mouth, Okay, that, that's small things, but we grown up. But the Bible talks about how, how people think they're grown, but they're still needing to drink milk. That's milk stuff. I ain't, I'm talking to me too, though, okay? So that's milk stuff. We should be able to control that. But let the Lord ask us to fast around a holiday. Some of y'all just, fast is a four-letter word. It really is, but it's the other kind of some of us. Why? Because our body and our flesh is more important to be satisfied than satisfying the kingdom. Because when we die early, we don't have the opportunity to pour into our children and our grandchildren to ensure that the things that are broken off our lives will be broken off theirs. Like in my family, diabetics are rampant, heart disease is rampant, high blood pressure is rampant. I have none. So we are breaking the curse as we speak. April and I are successfully married, 2003, 12 years now. All right? That's not in our family. And if I don't take care of myself, my grandkids will never know that they can also have that. So food is a way that the enemy takes us out before our time. All right, so... Let's get back to Christ's obedience was founded by his love for our father. So let's go to Luke 12, 32. So number one, God established his love for us. Number two, God establishes his pleasure in us. Luke 12 and 32 says, fear not, little flock. It is my, your father's good pleasure. Oh, it, you got it, son? All right, fear not, little flock. It is your father's what? Good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. The kingdom. These are the things you focus on. What's in the kingdom? Health, prosperity. Now, when we hear prosperity, we think money. Prosperity is money, but it's not just money. Being married to somebody you don't like, that is not prosperous. Having disobedient kids, that is not prosperous. I deal with parents who come to me crying all the time. Marlo, what am I going to do? Just saying arrest them. Because they are at wit's end. That is not prosperous. So when we hear prosperity, just don't think money. Any area of your life that's lacking is not prosperous. If you're depressed, that is not prosperous. If you're struggling in your singleness, trying to be single and live for God and messing up, that is not prosperous. If you married and you sliding out the back door, that is not prosperous. Amen. That is not the will of God. So he says, but it is your daddy's good pleasure. It makes God happy 
to please the us. How many of you guys have got that perfect gift for your kid one time and you saw their eyes light up? How did that make you feel as a parent? I see some of y'all smiling now. Because you still think about it because it makes, that's how God feels about you. Amen. When you have the opportunity to walk out your life and he gets to see you manifest exactly what he talked about in Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the thoughts and the plans I have towards you, says God, to prosper you. That makes God happy. Ephesians 1 and 5 says, I have predestined you unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So many people struggle. Does God love me? God not only, he chose you. If you read Ephesians 3, it talks about how you're chosen, you're holy, you're adopted, you're blameless, and you're beloved. You just not an average person. That's the enemy talk. I don't care what your mama think about you. I don't care what your daddy think about you or your family. At the end of the day, you have a God, a father, who loves you more than anything else, so much so that he gave his life for you. Because in order to obey, we have to establish that God loves us. Because we, as people, don't trust people who don't, we don't think have our best interests in mind. So that's all we're doing right now. All right, Ephesians 1 and 9. Having made known unto the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. God says, I will make my secret things known to you so that you can produce them in the earth. All right, so according to his what? Good pleasure. Say, God, God takes, pleasure takes pleasure in me. Lastly, Hebrews 11 and 6, when you, God says, I need, I need y'all to set, set it straight real quick. We know Hebrews 11 is a chapter of faith. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's how he starts. He said, those who come to me got to know two things, that I am and that I am a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. God saying, it's, so, it's, so, it's okay to trust God. He only has your best interest in mind. This is what you do when the God asks you to do something that you feel like a risk. You just regurgitate the word. God, it ain't no risk. God only has my best interest in mind. He, he is and he's a rewarder of everybody who seeks me. Me obeying the word of God is me seeking him. Therefore, he will reward me, says the word. Amen. That's, good. That's what the word says. So do we understand that God loves us? Amen. And all you do is keep re reading that over and over and over. Because there's areas in my life right now, I'll obey God in a second. Then there are certain areas I am still having to regurgitate the word over and over again so that my flesh will bow down to what God has asked me to do. Amen? Now, I know this ain't a make you happy word, but I'm, I'm tired of the kingdom not manifesting promise. I mean, people don't respect God because we don't operate in power. We're on jobs looking like everybody else. Our money looks like everybody else. Some of our kids look like everybody else's kids. Our lives are not any different. But when we begin to obey God and then a coworker at work and they walk up in there and they're sick and we lay hands on them and they recover, because the other thing obedience does, it gives you confidence. Some of us don't believe our prayers will work because we know some things we've done and all that. Obedience provides confidence to trust God. So 
A man is only drawn away by the lust of his own flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, your flesh. So all them little thoughts that you get, that's your flesh. Those are still things in your heart that you ain't dealt with. The enemy is like, he, he uses a shotgun approach. He just shoots out as many things as he can. That he, see, the enemy ain't going to talk to me about food, about pork chops. I, I haven't eaten pork in 13 years. So the enemy ain't going to talk to me about no pork chops. But the enemy may talk to me about some chicken <laughs> or some cake. All right, something sweet and bready. That's what the enemy makes. So you have to deal with your areas of life. But so many times, I think it's over in Matthew 7 and 7, I'm talking about the, 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 uh, the uh, splinter in your eye, the speck in your eye. When you're trying to get the speck out of my eye when the two by four is sticking through your head. Mind your business and handle your own. All right? But... But a lot of times, that's what we do. So we have to really, when the enemy's talking to you and there are things coming across your mind, don't discount those things. He's only sending things that are still you need to dwell on. You may not ever do those things, but when they happen, oh, no, no, Lord. I, I, I declare I, my, I, I am satisfied by the bosom of my wife. I declare right now in the name of Jesus that nothing else is attractive to me. Easy. I thank you, Lord, that, that that cake looks good. However, the word and the manifestation I need to produce is a whole lot more. So, God, I thank you that no temptation shall overtake me. That is not coming to man. But for every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. You ain't ever been tempted and then see the way. You ain't. Not only does God provide one way, it's like he got to exit every two and a half miles. Every mile, you got a way to get off. But the problem is, we'll be going by the exit and put up a detour sign. Can't go off there. Why? Because you really want it. And if you be honest with God and say, God, I have a problem with, I need your help. But a lot of times, we try to flesh it out. And we try to quit it through our flesh, and it doesn't work. And then we get frustrated, offended, and we blame God, and really it ain't God's fault because he didn't do what he asked you the first time. Amen. So, what does that word rewarder mean? It is one who compensates or makes return of an equivalent for anything given. A rewarder is a person who compensates or makes a return of anything equivalent that's given or done or suffered. For example... Giving your life to Christ was all that was needed for God to receive the reward of salvation. That's all you needed. So I gave my life, I received the reward of salvation. I obey, I receive everything that God has me to have. The only reason we don't walk in full manifestation is because we don't walk in full obedience. It really is that simple. Jesus obeyed his Father, so he manifested fully. And I know people are like, well, it was God. But that Holy Spirit that he is, is here. So we don't manifest because we don't do exactly what he did. So why do people, dis real quick, why do people disobey? No, I'm asking. Y'all can talk. Why do people disobey? 
It's easy. I like. I didn't have. That's a good one. It is easier sometimes. Just not some. A lot of times, it's easier just to disobey. Don't trust. Mm-hmm. Pleasures of sin. I heard somebody over there. It's fun. See, he real. Cause I, that's, I, when I was a teenager, I, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. It was just things I liked to do, and I just didn't really, I love God, but at that point, it didn't really matter to me. And I can be honest with God and tell him that now. And I had to do it to fix it. Sometimes we just have to be honest. And here's the other part. Sometimes we, we, we don't trust, and we don't even know it's the reason why. For a long time, uh, like my mom lives with me now, and, and we talk, and she raised me. But it's amazing at the difference in the way that we think now, even though she's my mother and she raised me. Sometimes we don't understand that we are captive because we haven't even seen freedom. And it takes an opposing force that looks different than your thinking so that you can even come into a revelation that I've been living without. Because as long as I was in Prescott, I wanted to live in a two-bedroom house with a carport because that was the best thing Prescott had to offer. And I came here to Fayetteville, and I was like, wow, and excuse me, black people have money because I didn't see that. I rented a house all my life. We rented one house, rented another one, never owned anything. Didn't even know how any of that looked. And so sometimes you don't know because you just don't know. And, and you have to have an opposing force to, to challenge your thinking. But then when your thinking gets challenged, don't quit. It's hard to change what you've known for so many years. But don't quit. That's that Romans 12 and 2, renewing your mind. But that's what we have to do in order to do that. So sometimes we disobey simply because we don't know anything else is better. And it's out there, but we don't even trust it because people we know, people that look, because we try not to do this, but we relate God to the fathers that's been in our life, to the mothers that's been in our life, and to the family members that we've known. And we didn't see it happen for them, therefore we don't think it's capable of, capable for us. Say, but that goes out the door. Say, I am a generation curse breaker. I don't care what didn't happen for the last generation in my family. I know what happened for mine. Aiden will never know what divorce looks like. Aiden will never know what it means to rent a house. Aiden won't know those things. He won't know what it means to have to decide whether we're going to buy school pictures or buy lunch. He won't know. You have the opportunity through your obedience to set up something that you may not always understand, but your generations to come will inherit the beauty of what you were devoted to by following God. I may not see millionaire status. I may not see complete debt freedom, but Aiden will. Because I will set my life up to buy his first house for him cash. He won't know that. And so what we do right now, and so we are signing new meaning to obedience. Sometimes you may not obey for yourself, but obey for your kids. God wants your obedience just because he loves you. But think about your obedience and how it relates to generations to come. Because if Aiden 
never knows divorce and never knows debt, then his kids don't know it. But his floor, I mean, his ceiling now becomes their floor, and we are catapulting and changing a generational name for Marlowe. So that's what we get to do when we obey. Because those are the assigning the new meanings we have to do, because sometimes flesh doesn't want it. But when I think about my baby, I, it's easy to put something back then. It's real easy not to eat the fried chicken when I think I may leave this earth a little early and not get to enjoy and see my grandkids play. All right, so the, why people disobey? Disobey. Ultimately, a lack of understanding the revelation of who God is. Ultimately, people don't obey because they don't know God. They don't know all of who God is. I don't care how long you've been living, how long you can read this Bible every day, all your life, for all of your days, and still don't know all of God. So people disobey because they don't have a complete understanding, a revelation of who God is. And for some of us, it's in different areas. Some people are great fitness people, but they have zero faith when it comes to money. Some people are great at fitness and money, but they got a poor marriage. So you are always having areas you need to grow up in. Your revel- this was Pastor Sean's quote, so I ain't going to steal it. Your revelation of Christ will determine how much hell will operate in your life. Your revelation of Christ. How much I understand his love for me will determine how much hell I see. Hell will always be there, but the question is, will it conquer? We're not, we're not excused from trials. We just already got the victory over them. All right. The lack of revelation. All right. So 1 John 4 and 8. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, that word perfect, sometimes we're like, well, I I don't got no perfect love. Yours not, but God's is. He ain't talking about your love. He's talking about his love for you. His love for you casts out fear because fear brings torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Experiences from our past has programmed many of us to establish wicked thinking. So we talked about it a little. Don't let your family history call, or the way you have seen things cause you to miss out on God. Just because Granny did it doesn't mean it's okay. I had to have a tough conversation the other day with my, with my mom. Me and my mom, we talk a lot now that she stayed with me. And, we, and I said, Mama, your love broke. And she, she was like, huh? I'm like, your love is broke. Love doesn't always bend over backwards and do things for people just because they need it done. It is not okay to drive yourself into the ground on the behalf of another person. That's not a, that is not love. But so many times we allow family to cause us to make poor decisions or friends. That is not okay. Say, I am not God. I am not required to put on a cape and become Superman Superman. for all situations. situations. That's not your requirement. And so a lot of times, though, we are the way we are because we have a wrong view of love, and we think that love always has to help. The best help sometimes is no help. Because if I told you to do X and you're still doing Y, we can't talk about anything else until you do X. That's why God's still talking to you. God's been talking to you the last six years about losing them same five pounds, about saving that same $5,000, 
about getting that brand new job and you're still doing the, and you're like, God, I want to go higher. God's like, just do X. We always want God to take us to new places, but we can't go to the place he's been asking. You have to do what God has asked you to. God doesn't, we have established, God doesn't mind prospering us. Okay, that's established in the word. But we have to do first things first. Why? Because the process does what? It develops character, and it develops integrity, and it develops excellence. The last thing you want is to have all the money that you can ever need, but you never develop character, and you out tricking it out at strip clubs, buying alcohol, and doing all this other stuff with it, but you a man of God. Because you never allowed that little McDonald's job making $9 an hour. They don't make that much. I'm not sure. But to develop your character to save your dollar bills and to grow up. Say, don't hate the process. Say, there are many benefits of obedience. Caleb, what's the time? On a recorder. How long have I been teaching? Oh, okay. We're going to finish. All right. I need to see where I'm going to skip. Well, we got to talk about the benefits of obedience, and then we're in there, okay? All right. The blessings, benefits of obedience. Blessings are the result of obedience. Abraham, the father of faith, was not blessed because of who he was, but because of who he loved. Abraham was asked to leave his place of comfort. These are some things that get us in, in trouble. Comfort, security, and familiar, always familiarity. All right, did I get it right, Kenosha? Close. Close. All right, I take close. All right? Should have been in speech class. They missed me because I was a little intelligent. All right? So, <laughs> all right. But my friend, my friend BJ has, he, he called them the CIAs, con, uh, convenience, indulgence, and uh, I think association of things. Because that's what gets us in trouble. Because it is hard to move when you're comfortable. I got to the hotel last night. I wanted something to eat. But it was cold outside. And I had a two-year-old I was going to have to put in the car again. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to eat these little chips. And I'm going to be okay. Why? Because convenience, comfort got me. Okay? Because it was easier to not eat and stay than to get out and go. And that's how we do the word of God sometimes. It is easy to stay in your house. It is easy to stay on your job. It is easy not to confront your spouse about the thing that made you mad. Instead, you're going to get offended and wait a month and let it gunny sack, and then all of a sudden you blow up. That's not fair to your spouse. It, it's not. All right? But it, it, it's comfortable and it's easy. Say, say my Christ-like walk, my Christ-like walk is, not is not about comfort. Our walk with Christ is not. It wasn't nothing comfortable about hanging on that cross and taking those nails and those thorns in his head. It wasn't nothing comfortable about bleeding out there. It wasn't nothing comfortable about being spit on. But yet he did it for you. But now we don't want to leave a job. The one you prayed about getting, that's what's so bad about it. You, you, you wasn't like Hannah, the first beginning. She remembered, she did. You prayed for that job. Now he actually, and he gave it to you. You blessed God, and you sold first fruit, but now he actually leave. Now you can't. 
You prayed for those things, and God gave them to you, but now you can't do what else he needs you to do. Genesis 12, 1 and 3, God told Abraham, Leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. The essence of this, your environment is always working on you. Hang around people that are better than you. Do not be the best person in the crowd and think you're going to keep growing. That is not okay. It may feel good, but once again, comfort isn't growth. There's a couple of ex-athletes in here. They'll tell you, you cannot grow and be comfortable. Anybody in here ever lift weights? Okay, raise your hand if you ever lift weights. Let me see who lift weights. All right. So let's say you started, <laughs> let's say you started lifting at 135. I know some of y'all that ain't happened yet. All right. So you bench press at 135, right? And you, you deal with 135 20 times, and it's good. You wake up in the morning, you ain't so, and you go do 135 again, and you keep doing that. What happens? Nothing. Thank you. Nothing. Why? Because as long as you do what comfort, what's comfortable, growth doesn't take place. You hear kids say, I'm having growing pains. Why? Stretching out hurts. So obedience, it, it ain't about whether it feels good. It's about who am I going to love and who I'm going to trust. It will not feel good. Let me help you. It won't. Some things will when God tells you, hey, uh, so $50, blah, blah, or, or, or hey, go on that vacation. You need a break. Bless Shala Boko Shana. Ah, yeah, Belize, here I come. That type of obedience feels good, okay? But when, when, the, when the Lord tells you to apologize to your spouse for something you know you wasn't wrong on, right. I remember sitting at a stop sign crying, tears on the way to school one morning. Because I wasn't wrong. And the Lord asked me to apologize. And I just like, Lord, why me? <laughs> why? Because you know, when you know there's times and you didn't, but, Lord, but the Lord will use you to mend hurt in other people. Sometimes your apology has nothing to do with you at all. God telling you to hug that person you can't stand at work, it don't got nothing to you ain't all that, but you are all that, okay? But don't make everything out about, about you. Hugging, buying that person a Coke or sending them flowers, that person you can't stand, that person that you, you see in a room and you just walk out, God asking you to do that, they don't got nothing to do with you. God is working through you to heal them. Because you remember that the, the word we got earlier about freedom and liberty? You better, it's going to happen. God is about to act, give you what I call opportunities to grow up. God is going to give you opportunities to exercise obedience in the upcoming days, to challenge his words, to grow you up and manifest more. Because every time you obey, it becomes easier. Every rep you did at 135 made it 140 a lot easier. Every rep you did at 140 made 155 a lot easier. Every time I choose to bench press obedience, it makes it a lot easier next time. But vice versa. Every time I disobey God, it makes it a lot easier next time. That whole little leaven, leaven the whole lump. So when I begin to disobey in one area of my life, disobedient does not like containment. But what the problem is, because we talked generational a second ago, right? 
But when you begin to be disobedient, then you, you breed disobedience into your kids. And then what you had stopped in one area, you're starting something else in another. So a lot of us are overweight because we saw all our parents and our grandparents overweight, and food is all we know. We ate when the people died. We ate when it was happy. We ate just because we were stuck in the house and couldn't go nowhere, and we ate because we wanted to leave and go somewhere. All we knew was food. But somebody hasn't changed yet. A lot of our family was broke. And that's all they knew. But guess what? You get to be the person that changes that. Today, we're listening in a room with a bunch of generational changers. You need to think about everything and ask God to reveal some of them to you that has plagued your family. Because I am telling you, God wants to break off the curses. And nobody in this room has hit their ceiling. No, I don't care what, how great your life is. Your, your ceiling has not even been hit. You can't even see it yet. God hasn't even revealed everything he wants to do to you, for you because you can't handle it right now. Your best days are yet to come. Our kids, our kids out there, our kids are depending on us. And we got a generation, those of us who are educators, we get to see it every day. We got a generation that needs us to press in to God. We got a generation who, they are lost. The music doesn't help them. TV, media doesn't help them. And then, unfortunately, they come home to parents who, doesn't, who don't help them. So we have to be the people who are willing to say, God, I push back the plate. God, I choose not. God, I choose to take something I wanted for myself. I'm going to take an angel off that tree, and I'm going to bless somebody else. God is looking for people who are willing to what we see as sacrifice in order to obey. But it's really not a sacrifice to obey. It's really expressing my love back to God. John 15, and we can't get there, and I'm sorry for taking so long. John 15 talks about being engrafted in, that God is, God, God is divine and we are the branches. Obedience is that glue that keeps me draft, grafted into that vine that allows the nourishment from God to flow through my life. But disobedience cuts me away and I begin to dry up and wither like those sticks we see falling in our yards now because dormancy is happening in the trees. Don't be a dormant Christian. You can be saved and worthless. In the sense, to the kingdom. You'll go to heaven. You'll live with Jesus. But you will have never accomplished much in the earth for anybody. That is not who God has called this house to be. We are a generation of people who make change in the earth. Amen. Do I have anybody agree with me? Amen. You can stand to your feet. We're ending. So, Father God, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus, God. We thank you that the word has fallen on good ground, God. It will bring up good fruit, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. We refuse to be, God, 
cowards in this earth. We refuse to lay down, cave in, and quit, God. But I thank you for a warrior spirit, Father. I thank you that we love you, God, but most of all, we know that you love us. I thank you that that love for us causes us to trust you and that trust moves us to act on your word, God. I thank you that we will not allow our addictions to things to cause us to be deterred from what you've called us to do, Father. I thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, God, that the people in this room, God, and the partners of this ministry, God, I thank you, God, that we are people, God, who raise up our voices, God, that we cry out and we declare, God, we sound the alarm to the enemy that we are here, we are conquerors, and we are taking everything that belongs to us, God. We thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, God, that our kids belong to the kingdom. We declare that no devil in hell will come and take their lives early. We declare that no devil in hell will come and afflict their minds and their bodies. We thank you, God, that right now in the name of Jesus, God, that your spirit keeps them, God. We dispatch angels to protect them, Father. Right now in the name of Jesus, we declare that our children eat the good of the land because they are willing and they are obedient, God. We thank you that our children, God, honor their mothers and the fathers, God. Right now in the name of Jesus, we declare that to be so, Father. We thank you that our kids go to schools, God, and they're a light to their teachers, God. They're a light to their peers, Father. We thank you that where they go, the presence of God follows them, God, and there is liberty and there is freedom that is operating in our schools because our kids decide to be obedient carers of the, of the anointing, God. We thank you that we're able to perpetuate that in our lives, God, because we are obedient to your word, Father. Right now, in the name of Jesus, God, we declare those things to be so. We thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for jobs and better jobs, Father. We thank you for benefits, sales, and commissions, Father. We thank you that business owners, God, right now, that their businesses grow, Father. God, I thank you, God, that we are a church that are willing to step out on faith, God. We do not allow society, the economic system, God, the political system, God, to deter us from what you have called us to do. But I declare in the name of Jesus that we are a multitude of people, God. We are a remnant. We are a chosen generation that will walk out and carry out your will in this earth, Father. God, I thank you that we're never scared, God. Hallelujah, Father. We're ready, Father. I thank you that we put you in the game. That we allow your, your anointing to work inside of us, God. You said their Holy Spirit will cause the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts, Father. So, God, I thank you, God, that the Holy Spirit is making your love more known to us, God, so that we can walk out day by day all the manifestations that you have called us to have. And God, I thank you that we will not be without. Hallelujah. I declare, God, that right now in the name of Jesus, I speak to every marriage, Father. I thank you that every marriage in God right now in the name of Jesus is a representation of exactly what you've called it to be, God. I thank you that the husbands love their wife like Christ loved the church, God. I thank you for unselfish men, Father. I thank you for men that are willing to lay down their life on the behalf of their wives and their children, God. I thank you for men to have a... a, a, a uh, attitude of work, God. I declare that we don't have lazy men. Amen. God, I thank you that our men, God, seek out ways to make this world better, Father. I thank you, God, that our men are so great to attract other men. And God, we begin to make a change here in this area. And I thank you that our women know their worth, God. 
And even if married or single, God, that they don't let a man trap them into a mold. I thank you that our women are women of virtue, God. They are women of character, God. They are women of excellence, God. And they change, impact change in this place, God. I thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, God, that there are things that women have been called to do, God, that they have been asking husbands. But I declare that your husband is not greater than God. If God has told you to start, I'm going to speak. If God has told you to start the business, start the business. You don't need everybody to co-sign for you. God has co-signed for you, and that's all that matters. You are bigger. You are better than the life that you live in. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're small. You, you are not small. You are not small. You're, you're not small. I'm not, who, I'm not sure who you are, but that's the, you, you are not small. Let, don't let a man keep you contained. You pray and ask God. If you married, pray and ask God how to navigate the situation. Do not let a man keep you contained. The word God has gave you is just as important as the one that God has gave your husband. And he knew y'all would be together, so you ask him how they intertwine. But don't, as a mother, you're really quick to put all your dreams and all your things aside for your husband and your kids. God said that's not okay. It's not okay to deter your dreams on the behalf of somebody else because you created a generation of daughters who thinks it's okay to put their dreams aside to satisfy a man or their kids. So God will give you the avenue in which you can accomplish it all. You can be a great wife, you can be a great mother, and you can do everything God has called you to do. God, will, you are already capable to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're done. Uh, and I, I apologize.